0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time,
1: get up to 50% off by going to bluenile.com. That's bluenile.com.
0: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems.
1: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out 1 hour of 5-yard rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
2: Hello Rush Nation and good evening and welcome to the 5-yard Dynasty show. I am joined by an absolutely fantastic and I'm really excited. I think we're going to have a great hour for you. We've got some fantastic things to talk through. So this evening, I'm joined by Jason Snyder. He is at Spides, it's S-P-Y-D-E-S-78 on Twitter. And he is a senior writer at Dynasty Nerds. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited. I think we're going to have a great hour. Um, and how are things?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for, for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, I've been a big admirer of Five Yard, and I'm excited to be with you. Um, so I appreciate the invitation and I'm looking forward to the hour as well.
2: You're you're really, really welcome. We're, we're really excited to have you on and I'm really looking forward to going through some of these. So tonight we're going to be doing a kind of ADP rankings battle. So I've put together some teams that are either on, uh, some players that are either on the same team or they have similar consensus rankings. And basically we're going to have a bit of, potentially a bit of a battle to who we think should be, who should be higher or who we would prefer on our dynasty rosters and of course why. So shall we start with our first pairing? This is my kind of favourite pairing to argue about at the moment and that's George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Obviously they're both wide receivers on the Pittsburgh Steelers. On Keep Trade Cut, George Josh Pickens is wide receiver 27, and Deontay Johnson is wide receiver 37. So, Jason, I would love to know, who would you prefer to have on your dynasty roster?
1: Um, well, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the two candidates that you just put forth, and I, I really like Deontay Johnson, to be honest with you. I looked it up. He just turned 27. He just had a birthday actually last week, so he'll be 27 in this upcoming season. Um, I think he's all too often overlooked in the Pittsburgh offense. I mean, I, I, if you exclude his rookie season, he's averaged nearly 1,000 yards each season that he's been with the Steelers. Um, he's had 94 receptions per season. Um, that's not small change. Um, and then last year, he went from seasons of seven and eight touchdowns to zero in 2022. So to me, he's a prime like positive regression candidate. I can I can't see him replicating a complete zero in terms of touchdowns. Uh, in this coming season, and then you have to look. You know, obviously from a fantasy fantasy perspective. I mean, in PPR, he had 222 points in 2020, he had 274 points in 21, and he had 181 points last year because of the lack of scoring output that I just mentioned. Um, that's an average finish of 225 points, which would make him the 19th best wide receiver over the past three seasons. And you're getting him at a wide receiver for price. Um, so for that for that kind of a bargain, I'll take uh, Deontay Johnson of the two every time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just kind of argue that with you there, Jason. At all, it's something that I've been banging on about for months. Like, I, I honestly, I just don't understand why <laughs> um, Pickens is so much higher than Deontay Johnson in the rankings and also in ADP as well. People, I, th- I think people just love kind of the young player he Mm -hmm. does make some exciting plays but that doesn't always equate to fantasy production or value really and as you said like he he is the right receiver one on the Pittsburgh Steelers and the thing is last season Deontay had the highest target share but Pickens wasn't even second in target share it was actually Pat Friamouf who was second with 19.3% so it's not even like he's kind of you know, battling with Deontay to to take over that target share because Pickens got, not me. I mean, it was a reasonable 15%, but Deontay had 26%. So to me, you know, they're, they're not even really comparable. And especially in, you know, PPR leagues where you're getting a point per reception, you know, you're going to get so many more points with Deontay versus George Pickens. I just do not see why you would pay the extra price to take George Pickens when, like you said, you could take Deontay Johnson basically at wide receiver four. And pretty much you're getting wide receiver two. If he has a ceiling year, potentially wide receiver one value. So, I mean, I 100% agree with you on that one. No battle there. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, that's a bit of a fail. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't see how Pickens can. Uh, yeah, I still do not get his ADP. I think it, so I think I'm you actually... nailed
1: it. I, th- I think people are betting on the upside of Pickens, which is fair. I mean, but you you're paying for the upside. So you're not getting any discount for a lack of production. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't shown us what he's capable of, and people are already paying that price. So to me, that's kind of bad business. If you want to speculate and pay up for someone that you think has a breakout potential, and you're getting them at a discount sure that's great but when you're paying an established price for a breakout candidate it's that's a risky that's a risky way to build your team
2: yeah i mean i would 100 percent agree i i also I've, I've discussed this a little bit actually um with rich when i went on to the uh, dynasty uh, island have a chat with him um the fantasy sanctuary and mm-hmm. i honestly think that people think that deontay johnson is boring like they're like, oh, he's really boring. I want the fun upside players on my team and Deontay mm-hmm. Johnson, uh, you know, he's too boring. I, I just don't want him. Um and part you know, partly I think that's why he says people just don't he's not sexy. I do right. think people in Dynasty love the sexy play, picks, the rookies, the youngsters. And they don't always actually sit back and think, what is the best value for me and my roster? Um, Yeah, I I would 100% agree. We're we're battling with ADP and consensus, right?
1: Maybe so. Yes, correct.
2: Shall we move on to a second pair?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So... So next up, we've got Najee Harris and J.K. Dobbins. Now, obviously, both running backs. Najee, again, on the same team as the two players we've just talked about on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and J.K. Dobbins, obviously, of the Baltimore Ravens. So Najee Harris on keep trade cut is running back 14, and J.K. Dobbins is running back 15. So very close in consensus rankings. So tell me, Jason, who would you pick to have on your team?
1: So when I, when I look at these two uh, AFC North running backs, um, my tendency is to go with J.K. Dobbins here. Um, I mean, obviously, he comes with health uncertainties, right? Um, he had that horrendous knee injury in August of 2021. And now we now know that that incident was even worse than we originally thought. He tore his ACL, his LCL, his meniscus, and his hamstring in that, in that incident that he had in August of 2021. So that was a lot of grueling rehab. And then even last season, he needed an in-season kind of a cleanup procedure during the season, uh, which sidelined him for part of the season again. I think that's eroded a lot of the confidence that people once had in him. However, I still see him as a really high potential player. Um, He did resurface for the last four weeks of the season last year and and close out 2022 with some real flashes. He was averaging almost 100 yards, 99.3 yards a game. Um, when you're averaging 100 yards a game, that's obviously eye-catching as a as a running back. Um, he has been remarkably productive when he's healthy. He has nearly six yards a carry over the course of his short NFL career. So that's another eye-catching stat that you say, "Wow, six yards a carry is pretty impressive." Um, compared to you know, you know, if you usually if you have four yards a carry, you're a top back. So six is is uh, pretty mind-boggling. Um, obviously we always talk about age being King in dynasty, uh, specifically with running backs, he's going to enter 2023 at a youthful age of 24. So it's not as though, even though he's had these injury issues, it's not as though he's an older back or, you know, he has a lot of tread on him. He still has a lot of youth on his side. Um, and, and lastly, Baltimore didn't bring in any real major competition for him in terms of carries. He still has, um, Gus Edwards there who's aging. We talk about age. He's kind of in the opposite category because Edwards, I think is 28 or 29. So he's, he's getting up there. And the last thing I'll say is Baltimore has run a traditionally very run heavy offense. They had a 51.9% run rate in 2022, which was third highest in the NFL. So if you kind of do all the math there, you have a guy that seems to be kind of rounding back into form from his injury. He has no competition. Um, And he's on an offense that's going to run the ball a lot. Um, So to me, he's, again, when you talk about potential or ceiling, I think he's an RB1 potential, or he has the ceiling to be very firmly in the RB1 category, and you're getting him at an RB2 price right now. So for that reason, I'll take uh, J.K. Dobbins.
2: Yeah. So again, we're not necessarily battling with each other, but we are battling (laughs) with consensus because I also agree. I would take J.K. Dobbins to be on my team. So although that he is on an offense with a rushing QB, and we know obviously historically or the data can sometimes say that rushing QBs can actually hurt a running back, we have seen historically that J.K. Dobbins has been able to to do extremely well alongside Lamar Jackson in the very same offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have actually very little worries of him and Lamar kind of co-sharing, you know, on this offense. Um, I do think that, obviously, last year, as you said, Jason, he was struggling through his injury, so we didn't see the best of him. But I do think he is actually more talented than Najee. I think Najee really, his game fantasy value, I suppose, is predicated on him getting the volume. I think if he's not getting volume, then he's not really probably giving us much else. So even though J.K. Dobbins was coming off an injury last season and he missed eight games, he had more big runs than Najee. So he had nine big runs versus Najee, seven. And he had more yards per carry. So he had 5.7 yards per carry and Najee had 3.8. So, I mean, it's it's not the best kind of look for Najee, really, when, you know, a player who has come off a, a really what was a season ending where he didn't even begin the season, did he? He did it in training camp. Injury um, actually performs better in certain categories than Najee does. I mean, look, we know that Najee is likely going to retain that lead back role in the Steelers offense, but, you know, he he is starting to have a little bit of competition. There's a little bit of buzz, um, you know, with Jalen Warren that he might start to take some more touches from Naji. I mean, the positives for Naji is that, you know, they're going to have a better offensive line this season. But I still, I just think that J.K. Dobbins is more talented, his upside is higher, and ultimately Nashi is a very standard and average running back that gives us fantasy value by having high volume.
1: Yep. I, again, no battle here, because I absolutely agree with all of the points that you just made. So I guess we'll just battle the... Uh, those around us because you and I seem to be in lockstep here.
2: Exactly. Now these two I am I am actually really intrigued on your thoughts on, on these next two, Jason. And and when I read them out, I, I genuinely think people are going to believe that I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because again we're <laughs> talking about another Pittsburgh Steelers player. Um you'd be surprised to hear I'm actually a Bengals fan. So um mm-hmm. I should have slipped some Bengal's in there. But this time some a couple of QBs, some some young QBs. So we're going to look at Jordan Love versus Kenny Pickett. So um, Jordan Love is currently keep QB 17, and Kenny Pickett is currently QB 18. So Jason, when you are deciding for your team, who would you like to have on there?
1: So this, this one was really interesting for me. This was the first of the player debates that you had lined up where I didn't get a real initial gut reaction, and I didn't say, oh, that's who I would pick. I really had to kind of think on this one. I mean, I actually quite like both Jordan Love and Kenny Pickett, um, particularly, obviously, in a super flex format where those QB twos and even threes can be a real difference maker for your roster. Um, that said, you know, if I'm forced to pick, I think I would opt for Kenny Pickett here. I'm also not a Steelers fan, <laughs> but I, I would opt for Kenny Pickett of those two. Um, I think my biggest selling point on Pickett is that I, I really think he has a leg up when it comes to the skill position players around him. Um, with Pittsburgh, we just talked about Najee Harris and I I understand that he has his limitations that we cataloged pretty well, but we also did talk about Deontay Johnson. He has Pickens. He has Allen Robinson now as a third wide receiver. Um, and then he has Firemouth, which is a very strong up and coming tight end. So that's a pretty formidable offense as a lot of skilled position players around him that are pretty well established at this point. Um, when you compare that to green Bay, they have some nice youthful pieces, Christian Watson being the primary one. But I don't think that they compare to the Steelers' roster right now. Um, and I, you know, if, I think if Aaron Rodgers, who's a future Hall of Famer, kind of struggled to make that Packers offense relevant last year, it's fair to expect that Jordan Love may also have some of those same struggles. I mean, they haven't really added significant pieces to that offense. Um, if, if anything, you could argue that some have been detracted or taken away from that offense. Um, so, and the other point that I'll make is, I think Pickett gets a slight advantage because he had an opportunity to log some meaningful snaps in 2022. Um, it's funny to say that because Jordan Love obviously came out many years before Kenny Pickett, but he hasn't had a chance to play. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, discount the experience that he got in kind of serving as an apprentice to A-Rod, but um, I don't think there's any substitute for in-game experience. And Kenny, or Kenny Pickett got quite a bit of that last year, and Jordan Love's going to be stepping into a whole different uh, world, when he takes over the starting role on week one for, for Green Bay.
2: So, Jason, I think you're going to say that I'm taking the easy route here and doing a bit of pop out, but I actually don't mind either of them. But I would, it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. So, with Kenny Pickett, I would prefer him to be, let's say we've got a super flex team, I prefer to have him as my QB3 on a, either a contender or paired with basically an, an upside quarterback. So if I had, let's say, I don't know, a QB1, then I had Kenny Pickett, and then I had someone like Anthony Richardson, he'd probably quite happy with that because mm-hmm. I I think he seems like a very reliable player. And I think ultimately his probably best case and, and most likely scenario if he continues to be a star is that he ends up being one of these reliable QB2s, like a Kirk Cousins, like a Derek Carr. I can't see a scenario where he breaks into that kind of QB1 top 12 region. Um, I I feel like, as I say, he's going to be a, a reliable guy. I think he's going to probably have a weekly value range and he'll put points on your team. So if you've got Anthony Richardson and you think oh he's not going to start or you're worried about him, you've got that kind of reliable QB2 there that's still going to give you some points when Anthony Richardson potentially could give you a zero or something like that. Or, you know, he's got fluctuating, you know, points across the season. I'd be interested in your thoughts on, can you pick it there, Jason? Do you agree with me that he's probably going to be in that kind of QB2 range or just like a different kind of scenario or ceiling kind of case for him?
1: No, I actually shock this is going to be a shocker for you Hannah, but I quite agree <laughs> with your analysis so far. We seem to agree quite a bit. Um I think your your comparison to Kirk Cousins is probably apt. That's probably a ceiling for a guy like Kenny Pickett. But I also, you know, when we were talking earlier about the offense for for Pittsburgh compared to the offense for Baltimore, um I think Baltimore, you have to think about where these offenses are headed, right? And I think Baltimore's headed towards being or at least staying as a run first type offense, I think Pittsburgh with what they're showing us with the offense that they're building is they're trying to transition Kenny Pickett into throwing the ball more and being more of a pass heavy offense or at least embracing the pass a bit more than they have. And so for that reason, if I have to pick between Jordan Love or Kenny Pickett, I'm more inclined to go with Kenny Pickett just because of the opportunities that I think he may have. Um, I think Jordan Love with... The situation of him stepping in for the first time onto the field, I think uh, Green Bay's is more inclined. I mean, if you think about the strength of their offensive roster, they've got A.J. Dillon. They've got Aaron Jones. They've got a decent offensive line. I think if I'm the head coach, I wouldn't send you know Jordan Love out there and just expect him to win the game with his arm. I would run the ball. They're also in Green Bay, which is inhospitable weather climate. And so to me, it seems like they're going to be headed – towards a more run-heavy offense or a kind of time-control offense, whereas I think Pittsburgh may be more inclined to go air it out a little bit more uh, in this season and beyond.
2: Yeah, you make some really great points there. Um, so the scenarios where I would probably think about having Jordan Love on my team is either in a rebuild where I'm going to get players where I'm going to try and basey. See if they increase their value, or I can get upside from them. Um, so I would potentially kind of have a dart throw on him because if it works out, fabulous. Potentially one of the cornerstones on on my rebuilding team. If he doesn't, well, okay. I've you know may have paid a price for him, or you know I've drafted him in my raft in whatever round, but I've I've kind of not lost nothing because I'm I'm rebuilding anyway. It might delay my rebuild, but I think it's worth, you know, trying a little bit of a dart throw there or kind of the reverse of Kenny Pickett. So if I have like two reliable quarterbacks, I would potentially have him as my dart throw QB three. He's a bit more risk, but if he hits, then he could probably be the place of one of these reliable guys, but now I'm still getting points from them while potentially Jordan Love figures out what he's going to be in the, in the NFL it's tough, isn't it? Because we have barely seen him. We don't know exactly what he's going to be. So there is much more risk, I think, with taking God and Love. But potentially, if he hits, there could be higher reward. And that's always the risk you take, isn't it, with players like this? Um, you know, you're going to have potentially some risk, but potentially rewards. So if, if, I, if I'm rebuilding, then I'm going to go with these kind of high risk reward players because I'm just going to put players on there and see what hits and then kind of go build around there. Um, I'd be interesting on your thoughts there, Jason. Is that something that you would consider build or would you say, no, I would prefer not to do that and I would go a different route?
1: I think I would agree with your analysis that you have to kind of holistically consider your entire roster. So you have to know how many of those upside players you also have, because if you have too many of those, obviously, then you're in trouble because if they all at the bottom falls out of all of them, then you've got a roster that's in real big trouble. So you need a nice balance of steady players and then what I would call like upside players or or high potential players. I would agree with you that love probably fits into that You know, his ceiling is maybe a low end QB one, but his bottom is a QB three or or even less. You know, he he fizzles out and they replace him after a year or two. Um, So you've got to consider that as as a potential as well. Um, But if you have the latitude to add a player of of that kind of risk range, let's say. Um, I have no objection, especially like you said, in a rebuild to going with Love because he has a much wider, much wider uh, range of, of possibilities or outcomes. Whereas I think Pickett is probably the safe pick there, but is not going to exceed maybe like a QB fifteen type range.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, now one of John Love's uh, eight. So we're going to move on to the wide receiver position, and we're going to discuss two. Reasonably young players, so Christian Watson, Duke of the Cisco Francisco Niners. So they are Keep Trade Cup 19 for Watson and wide receiver 20 for Iuke um, in their rankings. So Jason, if you had the option, which of the two wide receivers would you put on your team?
1: Um, I guess I kind of probably tipped my hand in the way I described Green Bay's offense in the, in the previous battle or the previous uh, comparison that we did. But I would definitely go with uh, Brandon Ayuk here. I think, you know, despite he had a brief appearance in Shanahan's doghouse last year and he made some n- noise about, I don't even know if he's going to start coming out of training camp. And I think the fantasy community kind of freaked out a little bit. But he had actually the most productive season of his career last year, eclipsing a thousand yards and getting eight touchdowns. His PPR ranks, he's been right there. I mean, last year he was 15th, so he was a solid wide receiver two, kind of vying in that wide receiver one range. He was getting 13.4 fantasy points per game in PPR, which is impressive. Um, and then you have to consider the quarterback situation there. Now, now Brock Purdy is supposedly going to be ready either by the beginning of the season or at least in the early like quarter of the season, I would say. And assuming that he resumes his starting role as quarterback in San Francisco, he seemed to have pretty good chemistry with Brandon Ayuk. Um, I looked it up; they had Ayuk was targeted 6.2 times per game by Purdy, and I would kind of expect that relationship to blossom further um, if they're if they're paired together. Um, and then I think an underrated aspect to consider is the weather dynamic. I just talked about it with the question about Green Bay last uh, last battle or last round. But um, half of Watson's games are going to be in Green Bay in the fall and winter, which is not exactly a friendly environment for, for a pass-heavy offense. Um, so if you have those two receivers even ranked similarly and you need a tiebreaker, I would opt for the weather in, in San Francisco versus the weather in, uh, in Green Bay.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, like you say, like the weather is a really underrated kind of thing that we think about in fantasy in general. You know, mm-hmm. we often don't kind of think about, right, you know, which team's going to be playing in bad weather and when, especially when we kind of are drafting, especially in kind of redraft or best ball type league. I've switched to be playing these cold weather games, which may actually mean either very few little passing or, you know, a bit more rushing and and how can we take our advantage there? Interesting point that you have made. And we think of it in redraft leagues because we can plan it a bit easier. But as you said, jason you know it's something we should all be thinking generally in dynasty and whom whose own games are you know in these polled locations that go where weather games later on in the year that's going to affect our teams and obviously our potential to win championships so yeah i think that's a really cool point that you just brought up and a lot a lot of times people just don't really think about that particularly in dynasty
1: and it can also be kind of a divisional uh aspect to it as well because you know not only are they going to play eight games in green bay but they're also going to play in places like chicago and and you know that's not friendly weather wise either so um there's definitely a lot to consider there
2: i also agree with you and i would choose brandon Ayuk. i do think both in fantasy have a bit of a boom bus profile and i think that's mainly probably for different reasons so watson i think he as we saw, kind of down the stretch last season, a lot of his points came either from big plays or from touchdowns, and his um, kind of touchdown rate was a massive nineteen point point four percent, which is ridiculously high. Yes, exactly. And he he is likely going to have some regression, one because he's that's naturally what can happen, and two I think because he also doesn't have Aaron Rodgers anymore, right. and it's going to be a Jordan Love, so. I think you know he is really in for regression. I think this season at least. And then Ayuk, I think obviously his boom bust profile is more because of the offense that he's on. So that there's a lot of mouths to feed there. And each week, realistically, it's probably going to be a different player that ends up with either the highest target share or the touchdown or whatever that might be to make them kind of the the most relevant fantasy player in that team and, and unfortunately i think he is particularly talented and i think it's it's a shame from a fantasy perspective that he's in such a loaded team because mm-hmm. i think if he was on a different team um where the 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 offense is more concentrated i think he would be like a T Higgins esque you know in that kind of um level kind of of where we'd be drafting him and things in fantasy drafts. So I do think it's Mm. a bit of a shame for him, to be honest, that he's on the San Francisco offense from a fantasy point of view. But, of course, he probably thinks otherwise because it's a fantastic team. But, yeah, I do think that's probably one of the only things that is going against him. Obviously, a couple of years ago, he went into the doghouse because he didn't really want to do any blocking. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Shanahan wasn't particularly happy with him. But he seems to have... his his way back into the offence and from what I've been hearing this off season you know all of his teammates are kind of singing his praises and they're saying you know he is an underrated piece of this offence he's fantastic so I think there's a chance that we see even more of him this season you know Ayuk had more targets per game than Watson last year he had seven Watson had five and as I said earlier watson's fantasy performance was, was really predicated on those deep targets and those touchdowns which are certainly going to regress so i i think this in both dynasty and you know general redraft leagues i i don't know why people are so keen on christian watson you know where he's going because to me i think you're paying for production that he had at the end of the season which is going to regress
1: right i totally um, agree with you i i think he actually uh compares quite similarly to George Pickens, who we talked about earlier. People like that flashy name and the youth and the, all of that. And and you pay for that because um, Twitter has kind of inflated their, their value or social media, let's say, has inflated their value. And, and you know, that's just kind of the reality for a player like that. And, you know, I would say you made a good point about the uh, loaded aspect of the Niners and their, and their offense and how many mouths they have to feed. But I think the counterpoint to that is just that, because a team like that has so many weapons, they kind of spread the defense out, and it makes it a little bit easier for the for guys like Ayuk to be a contributor. Whereas, I think maybe the the uh, opposite example would be like a Devonte Adams now in La- in Las Vegas, where you know when you're a defense and you're matching up against that team, you're putting two, maybe even three guys on Devonte Adams and saying, "Beat us with somebody else," because you're not going to beat us with that guy, and so. Aiyuk, it's funny because he does have competition within his own team for targets, but at the same time he benefits from that because there are other people to kind of distract opposing defenses and and allow him to get open and and do what he does best. So it's it's a balance, right? So it, it's it's tough to say whether it's a detriment or or a benefit to him, to be honest. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a fant- fantastic point, isn't it? Like you say, when you're on a good offence, that means that they're going to give you the opportunity to open up. And like you say, if there's so many weapons, they're going to have to spread out and uh, someone comes open. And if it's that, if Ayuk is the one that comes open more often this season or over the next few seasons, you know, I think he's a great value at wide receiver 20, to be honest. I totally agree. Um, I like him a lot. Yeah, as I say, I think there's, I think Christian Watson, there's, there's no kind of risk, baked into his adp at the moment you know people seem to think he's going to be the wide receiver one and he's just going to carry on where he left off at the end of last season right. and i think people are going to get a shock when that is not the case so i i would not be buying him uh, at this price but right if there's a dip then maybe that's the time when people might want to consider kind of flushing him and yeah. then see how things kind of develop in that offense because they're all going to be going together, right? right? Um Jordan Love, you know, he's he's gonna find his favorite target as as it were, and that could potentially be Christian Watson, but we just don't know how things are gonna play out at this time. And I, I do think they are gonna struggle at the beginning of the season, at least.
1: But right, it, you know, it's actually kind of it's interesting because as we're talking about it, I was thinking if you think about green bay's weapons overall from a fantasy perspective the value hasn't really dipped on you know aaron jones or aj dillon or any of those guys you know whether it's christian watson even though aaron rodgers has left town and and that seems kind of strange in in there seems to be a disconnect there where it's like People are leery of Jordan Love, but the price is still holding strong on all of his, you know, all of his skill position players. So it can't be both, right? If Jordan Love is a downgrade from Aaron Rodgers, then all of the corresponding cast have to be downgraded as well. It can't, They can't all hold their positions in value, but we don't believe in Jordan Love. It's, it's really one or the other. So if you're not a believer in Jordan Love, you really need to consider more strongly, I think, your, your positions on some of his uh, teammates in terms of a fantasy value.
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: So I'm really interested to, just to talk a little bit more about this, Jason, actually, and get your opinion. Do you think that people are, do you think the value of his skill position players have not dropped because one, they're not looking at the big picture or two, because they believe that Lefleur is kind of a, a good enough coach that he's going to make this offense relevant from the get go. Um, I guess it could be the combination of both, but I don't know. Sometimes I, do, I never quite – I don't know sometimes what the fantasy community is thinking. Right. You know, you know, when they have these skill possessions position players so high, but they don't like love. I, right. And I'm never sure whether it's because we just sometimes don't step back and look at the bigger picture or we blindly believe that, you know, Lafleur, he's a great head coach and therefore can kind of work miracles when there may not be miracles to be to be made,
1: right. I think I think it probably is a combination of both. To be quite honest with you, I do think, and I'm guilty of it too. But I think the fantasy community kind of has a blind spot, especially when, we, when it comes to younger players. We just want to believe that they're going to be they're all going to be fantastic because they're young and we paid big prices for them in our draft. So they have to be great because I've already invested in them, and so now they're on my roster and they, they must be great. Um, I always think the funny thing about the disconnect. My favorite example of that is Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. People say Justin Jefferson's the best receiver in football, and I want him number one. And then when you talk to him about Kirk Cousins, they're like he's terrible. And I wouldn't. I'm like, you know, he's the guy that throws him the ball, right? So if Justin Jefferson is going to succeed, it's going to be because Kirk Cousins got him there. I mean, he, he's the only guy in Minnesota. So if you're a believer in Justin Jefferson, then you need to be more of a believer in Kirk Cousins. But people don't ever make those. Those connections or uh, those—they have a bias, I guess. I would say where they'd say, "I don't like that name." Versus the math just simply doesn't work out. If if Justin Jefferson's going to be a star, then Kirk Cousins is going to be a star too because he has to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, like you say, I do think this may be a bit of a stigma. I might not be the right word, but you know, people just think of Kirk Cousins as this reliable, you know, boring qb2 that you know is nobody really wants him on the team but you know when when everyone else has been drafted okay he's the next best we'll take (laughs) him we take him because we have to not because we want to right isn't it really but like you say actually if you're a believer in justin jefferson then you're you probably should be more keen and willing to take uh you know kirk cousins when you want to rather than just being like oh He's, oh, he's, I guess <laughs> right. he's the next best. I'll take yep. him. And yep. I think we're all guilty of doing that.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, we go, oh, well, uh, he's so boring. He's not going mm-hmm. to do anything exciting. But if he's throwing Justin Jefferson the ball a million times, then ultimately if Justin Jefferson's getting the points, so must Kirk Cousins. So, you know, he Absolutely. is going to do something.
1: Yep. And just so you know, I, I'm i a hip, huge hypocrite when it comes to this. I, I am very guilty of it. Um, I just took uh, Gino Smith as my third round pick in Scott Fishbowl and was kind of like lukewarm on it. And then I'm thinking like, but he has DK Metcalf and he has Smith and Jigba who everybody's excited about. So how can I be excited about those receivers, but think that Smith is underwhelming in some way? I mean, it's it, everybody does it. So I'm not saying I'm not sitting here telling you that I'm above that. I, <laughs> I'm very much uh, guilty of it myself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we all are as a community, aren't we? And mm-hmm. interestingly, I'm actually at uh, the same conundrum in my Scottish Bowl draft. Okay. I need to decide um, what to take. Um, and Gino is kind of, he would be my QB too. And I'm like, should I take Gino or should I risk it another round? And mm-hmm. I know whichever one I do, I'll regret it. Because <laughs> if I take Gino, no quarterbacks will go between now and my next pick. And if I don't, will uh-huh. be a massive run and I'll regret uh-huh. it. But that's the life of a fantasy drafter, isn't Uh, it?
1: Right. I was going to say, welcome to Scott (laughs) Fishbowl. That's how it is every year. Yep.
2: Absolutely. So let's move on to our next couple of players. We're going back to the running back position. And these are actually two players on the same team. So we've got Kenneth Walker versus Zach Charbonnet and they're of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, And they're currently ranked on keep trade Cut as running back 10 for Walker and running back 20 for Charbonnet. So, Jason, I'm I'm really interested in this one because I actually found this one a little bit difficult to decide. Um, but but who would you prefer on your team?
1: So you said earlier that you were afraid I would accuse you of taking the cop out and saying you would take you were fine with either. Uh, my this this answer for me is I think I would like, rather pick neither of these two running backs. Um, I would go with Charbonnet if you forced me to, only because he's got a cheaper price uh, in the way that the questions posed. But my reluctance on the backs is because I have concerns about talent, certainly. Um, I think quite the contrary. I actually foresee the backfield in Seattle just being kind of a bit of a nightmare for fantasy in the years to come. Um, When Kenneth Walker was selected last year in the early second of the 2022 NFL draft, everybody was excited. You know, everybody clamored to get a piece of him on their roster. Um, And then Pete Carroll didn't even put Walker in a game until week six. He didn't eclipse or I would say he didn't eclipse 10 carries until week six. So he did play in the games, but very limited role. Um, And he was playing guys like Rashad Penny, who's serviceable, but Travis Homer and DJ Dallas and guys like that above uh, Walker in his rookie season. And people got kind of frustrated, especially in redraft, because people were using significant draft capital on Kenneth Walker, and he just wasn't getting the playing time. And it wasn't until injuries really forced Carroll's hand um, that he did insert Walker and we all know Walker was very successful. Um, but he, Pete Carroll kind of strikes me as that type of guy that he's going to value the fresh legs and he just doesn't care about your, about your fantasy team. I mean, he, from week to week, Charbonnet might be the guy, Walker might be the guy they might split carries and, and both of them be, you know, somewhat insignificant in statistically. Um, you know, as a well-rounded back with power, I, I really liked Charbonneau in the pre-draft process but it's just that landing spot I'm really cautious about having any lofty expectations for either of those two backs um, especially as it kind of portends to reliable production I think it's going to be kind of you're just going to be pulling your hair out if you've played fantasy for long enough you kind of remember the old days of the New England running backs and and from week to week it was like who's going to be the guy and no matter who you picked and inserted in as your starter that was the guy that got three carries and, and and was Virtually non-existent in the game plan, and I just kind of feel like this Walker Charbonnet situation is going to be very much like that.
2: Yeah, I don't. I've really, really struggled with this backfield ever since they drafted Charbonnet. About what I think they're going to do, I my original thought was that that I I thought kind of they they would use Walker potentially maybe like first and second downs, try and get those big plays from him. And then they would put in Jack Charbonnet for third downs in the red zone, you know, because he's kind of that pounding north-south back that can kind of get those... Just get you the yards that you need mm-hmm. and and that may well still be the case now I read something today again you can never trust everything you read on <laughs> Twitter but I think it was it was from kind of I think it was an athletic reporter that was saying that they felt that Kenneth Walker was going to be the lead back in this backfield and they were saying that you know historically um, Pete Carroll has always featured a single back Um, And there's never been a game in which two backs have had more than 10 carries per back. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that that can't be Kenneth Walker one week and Zach Charbonnet the next week. So then I started swaying a bit more of, like, should I actually be believing more in Kenneth Walker? The thing with Kenneth Walker is... Like, we know he can break off a big play at any time. So I think he's another one of these kind of boom-bust type profiles yep. in that he could – he's perfect for best ball, in my opinion, although yeah. I think he's quite expensive. But in terms of his profile, like, he, can, he could be the running back one one week and he could be a running back three the next, you know, and it, it all depends on whether he breaks off these big runs or mm-hmm. not. And so I I've, I've found this, to be honest, really difficult to pick one. And like you say, I think ultimately I would rather just see what's going to happen before I pick either of them. But like yeah. you say, if I was sat in a draft and I had to take one, then I would take the cheaper priced running right. back, um, you know, until I kind of knew more. Because Kenneth Walker still, I think, is quite expensively priced to say that they've added someone of similar draft capital into the backfield. And as I say, their reasoning for that, maybe just because Kenneth Walker, he, he he isn't a pass catcher, is he? You know, he mm. is a rusher and that is it. He he's not, you know, he's relatively limited in that respect. So maybe they just want complimentary backs or maybe their backs seem to just get injured all the
1: time. Right. I think, I do think that that's a big part of their philosophy. It's just that they've had a lot of injuries with their backs. And so they're, they're thinking at as a about a, from an NFL you know team perspective which is we need to have a healthy back at, at all times and we can't be going to these third and fourth and fifth string or tertiary level quality backs we need to have like two top backs which makes sense frankly from where they're coming at it from it's just from a fantasy perspective it feels kind of like a quagmire because <laughs> you can't really, I don't feel confident in saying either one of them is going to be the guy from week to week. Um, That was an interesting stat about the uh, not having any backs that both eclipsed, you know, 10 carries. So it does kind of show you that he tends to lean into the hot hand sort of idea. And, you know, if, if he's got a back that's running well, he'll stick with him. but who's to say from week to week who that back's going to be. So, I'm still very leery of their backfield. I think they're both very talented backs. It's just a matter of who's. How can you predict who's going to be the guy? Now, if one of them, you know, work God forbid to sustain a, an injury, and the other one was thrust to the forefront, that changes everything altogether. But right now, with them both being healthy, and and I think having a high draft capital, it's just to me, it's, it's it makes me very nervous to try to have any confidence in either one of them.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. And like you said, I think we just need to see how things are going to play out. And as I say, I'll either have egg on my face because I should have been a bit more stalwart with Mm -hmm. Walker and said, you know, we know that he likes to go with the hot hand and, you know, Walker did a a pretty good job for him, you know, uh, last season. Or I'm going to be saying, I totally should have had more shares of Zach Charbonnet Mm -hmm. because Walker's got injured and now he's a league winner. Uh, You know, or we end up saying, oh, good actually we were right and neither have been particularly good i think it's going to be really interesting and i wouldn't be surprised if one of these ends up being a a running back one you know and and some sort of league winner by the end of the season right i think i think probably that will be due to injury but Mm. i wouldn't be surprised if we weren't talking about one of them as you know a steal in the later rounds.
1: I would absolutely agree with that assessment. I, to, for me to say that I would be surprised that they'd be an RB one is is not at all the case. I just don't know which one which one it will be. That's that's my concern. It's not that I don't think that they're capable of it. It's just as you said, if if one of them is injured and the other takes the place and really shines, I think the sky's the limit for either of them. It's just trying to sort out <laughs> how that's going to all play out and read those tea leaves is is too hard for for me right now. Not a, not a risk I'm willing to take.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just think if we're not sure, why would you spend all of that kind of draft capital on Kenneth Walker when there is a risk that actually he Mm -hmm. loses his, you know, lead back position and he he doesn't give you any fantasy value and you've spent a lot of capital and you're not getting anything from it. So I agree. I would would be picking Charbonnet at this time while we find Mm -hmm. out exactly how that's going to play out. So let's see if finally we'll be battling each other, Jason. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so far, no. <laughs> I know. I know it's our last chance. I have a, I have a feeling that we probably won't be battling, but we'll see. Okay. So we're, we're talking the final position tonight is tight position. So we're going to be uh, battling between TJ Hawkinson versus Dalton Kincaid. So on Keep Trade Cup, Hawkinson is tight four and Kincaid is tight five. So, Jason, who is who is your pick?
1: So, for this particular debate or battle, I felt the least conflicted of, of all of the choices that you presented me, and I feel I opt pretty comfortably for T.J. Hawkinson here. Um, I just looked into it a little bit, and as a Lion, I would say he was arguably misused or underutilized. Um, but when he was shipped to Minnesota kind of like mid-season last year, um, he elevated his value into what I would consider kind of an elite – is in that top tier now with very firmly with with Kittle and Andrews and uh you know, obviously Travis Kelsey um in 10 games with the Vikings Hawkinson averaged 8.6 targets per game and that's compared to the Lions he had just 6.1 so that was a 41 percent increase in usage just from going from the Lions to the Vikings um that's pretty significant I mean I think it gives you an indication of what Minnesota intends to do with him. And I would expect that trend to continue going forward. Um And even despite being underutilized in the first half of the year, Hawkinson finished as a t- tight end two for 2022 in PPR. He had 215 PPR points and he was behind only Travis Kelsey, who obviously is otherworldly in terms of his production. Um, so I do appreciate that Kincaid kind of has that upside and he's in a p- potentially really potent Buffalo offense, Um, but I also kind of pumped the brakes because I know even the most talented tight ends can take time to develop and kind of reach their full potential. I mean, see also Kyle Pitts (laughs) for, for that, uh, if you need evidence of that phenomenon, I mean, Kyle Pitts was from an athletic standpoint, one of the tops ever maybe, and he's still not reached where we thought he was going to be. And is now, I guess this will be his third season coming up. Um, so, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to think that Kincaid's going to come busting out of the gates, um, even with Dawson Knox in, in Buffalo, and then to be in that top five uh, ranking immediately. Um, so, given the maturation delay and Hawkinson kind of now in his prime and nestled into an offense that kind of has already demonstrated their intent to use him pretty heavily, I I think it's for me it was a pretty easy choice to go with Hawkinson here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And the, I, I actually thought we would agree because I am 100% the same. Okay. The reason I actually put that battle on here was because I just think it's like people are seem to have got rookie fever over Dalton Kincaid. And he seems to be particularly popular selection. Um, and people seem to think that he's going to come bursting out the gates and be absolutely amazing. And he's going to suddenly become the tightened one or something you know mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of rookie fever for him and it was more to kind of just maybe put some water on those flames a little bit and to kind of make people step back and, and think actually is Dalton Kincaid a good addition to my team will he provide me with the fantasy points that I need um you know on a week-to-week basis now mm-hmm. you know When I was reading up about this, I said exactly the same as you. For me, there's literally no contest. You know, we saw what Hawkinson can do on the Vikings last season. You know, he he can really be a fantastic fantasy tight end, and we've seen him do it. We have no idea what Dalton Kincaid is going to do. And when he was first drafted, they were saying, oh, we're still figuring out, you know, what Dalton Kincaid is going to be doing on our offence. So for me, that gives me a little bit of of red flags in that Mm -hmm. they're still kind of faffing about with him. So Mm -hmm. my suspicion is that he's probably not going to have a kind of set role on the offense to start with. And I just can't see him. I think people think he's suddenly going to be the second target on the team, you know, and Gabe Davis is suddenly going to be irrelevant and Dalton Kincaid is going to come out and become the wide receiver too, which, you know, in reality, it's just not going to happen. And as you say, there's plenty of data that shows that rookie tight ends are just rarely fantasy relevant. Right. Um, And I was trying to think, like, in what scenarios would I ever choose Dalton Kincaid over TJ Hawkinson? I mean, the only one I could really potentially think of was if I was in kind of this deep rebuild where basically my team was an absolute mess and I knew it was going to take me a couple of years to kind of rebuild it into something, and I would probably have him on there as a piece Because if he does become a very good fantasy-relevant tight end, by the time I've kind of rebuilt and I'm a contender Mm -hmm. again, hopefully he will be a contributing tight end on on my team and be a cornerstone, and then obviously at that point I can start competing. But there is a risk to that, because obviously we don't know what he's going to be, and it might be he ends up being a complete bust and we just don't know until we see him on the field. Right. and he's expensive, you know, mm-hmm. I would not be going out and buying him um, because he is so expensive. But if I'd happen to get him in a rookie draft, then I would, if I was in deep rebuild and I had Hawkinson and I picked up Kincaid in my rookie draft, then I may then consider selling Hawkinson, you know, for some pieces or picks or whatever. Sure. See what Kincaid could could give me. And then I would still have some, um, you know, picks or things that I could use to to buy either other skill position players that I want to be cornerstones or once I get there, if Kincaid is is no good, I can potentially go out and buy a tight end that's gonna be a starter and, and good value to me. So yep. that would be like the only scenario, but still I think he's too expensive at this point to to even bother doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I guess the the way I think about it in terms of value is, you know, if you think about rookie picks, I think Kincaid was probably going in that like 110 to 112, like back end of the first round area when the rookie drafts were still lively and, and hot and heavy. And I just can't, I'm, I'm like, as you're talking, I'm envisioning like offering, say, the 110 to the Hawkinson owner and saying, Would you like to give me one Hawkinson for 110? There's no way they're going to go. And what else? You know what I mean? There, no, there's no way I'm giving you Hawkinson for 110. So that tells you right there that though maybe analytically we can say one's a tight end four and one's a tight end five but when it comes to practically when you get in these leagues there's no way that the value is similar because that owner with hawkinson going to expect a lot more return than simply like 110 in a rookie draft in exchange so that tells you when you get into these conversations that you're going to have with your league mates in, in order to try to acquire tj hawkinson uh, you know dalton Kincaid's not going to get it done
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I actually, this was the hardest um, kind of battle I could pick was the tight end position because, mm-hmm. you know, aside from the elite kind of three and four, everything's a bit of a mess, to be honest. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, any jumble of those players could end up being a tight end one in any kind of given season. Yep. So it is the land. The tight end landscape is just a bit of a mess, but. You know, because there's so much kind of rookie fever for, for Dalton Kincaid, I just wanted to put him in there um, to, to discuss our thoughts. And I'm, I'm very pleased that we are in agreement. So we may not have battled each other, Jason, but we did battle consensus. And to be we honest, did. I think we battled every single one, to be honest. The couple, obviously, we were a bit more on the fence on, but the mm-hmm. only one we didn't battle was TJ Hawkinson. Um, right. But that's a no-brainer, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that was only one, one position off, really. It was four exactly. versus five, right? So it's not a big leap. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. exactly. So as I say, it might not have been a battle between us, but we certainly battle consensus.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. I'm glad we were able to do that together.
2: <laughs> exactly. So just before we finish, Jason, um, we always, every week, have our little guest question segment. So with every guest we have on, we ask them to pose a question to our next, next guest, Mm -hmm. So our previous guest, Mike, at Daddy's Home FF, he posed the following question to you. Who is the player outside of the consensus top 12 rookies that has the best chance to become a top 10 pick at his position next year?
1: So I wrestled with this one quite a bit. I thought this was actually really a a great question because it really makes you think. It's uh, On on the surface, you think like, oh, that's pretty simple. But when you really start to dig, I I found myself stammering a bit like, how am I going to answer this question? Um, So what I did is I dug into the Fantasy Pro's rookie ADP and uh, tried to figure out who's going outside of that first round area. And so the player that I'm going to select here is uh, the Raiders tight end Michael Mayer. I think with the departure of Darren Waller in Las Vegas and Foster Moreau, by the way, there's obviously ample opportunity for for a young tight end out there. Um, The Raiders did bring in some kind of journeyman types in Austin Hooper and O.J. Howard. But I kind of feel like this job is clearly Mayer's if he can seize it. Um, Mayer has good hands, he has size, and he can operate well in traffic. So if nothing else, I think he's a popular red zone target potentially for Jimmy G as he transitions uh, to the Raiders. Um, but I really expect him to be utilized far more beyond just a simple kind of scoring gimmick or a red zone uh, player. Um, so when you look at the bottom end of the tight end landscape right now, we were just talking about. It. It's funny. You gave me a perfect segue there. Um, you, got, you find guys like Evan Ingram, Fryermouth, who I, I like quite a bit, and uh, Njoku. Uh, and those are nice players. I'm not disputing the talent of those players, but I think it's entirely reasonable to say that if Mayer has the type of season I think he's capable of, he could definitely eclipse those guys in value and find himself in that you know top 10 ranking uh, of, of fantasy tight ends. So maybe it's the easy way out to go with a tight end because that position in general is kind of a mess, as you pointed out. But I do think he's, you know, it's funny because we just talked about, rookie tight ends don't come out and they don't smash and they, and you know, Kincaid's going to struggle more than people think. And now I'm here advocating for, for Michael Mayer, but I just kind of, I, I think that the Raiders are going to have to pass a lot because I think I expect them to be trailing in a lot of games. Um, They play in a dome, which we talked about weather. So that's going to be to his benefit and he's, he's got a lot of size going for him. So scoring can really buoy, uh, you know, an asset in, in fantasy uh, value. And so if he gets, you know, seven, eight touchdowns, even if he's not as productive as we'd like him to be, you're going to see his value inflated by that scoring. Um, so I just think those are all within the realm of possibility. I'm not telling you that's definitely how it will play out, but to me, he's a great candidate to to make that huge leap. So I'm going to go with Michael Mayer.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic pick because um, you actually mentioned Pat Friermuth, you know mm-hmm. what he did in his rookie season i mean it wasn't anything that the little the world but he did end enter the titan one and i don't think he's ever come out of that top 10 you know in rankings ever since right. then and i think Mayer could really easily do very similar um so i think that's a great shout i wouldn't be surprised if that that happens at all so um jason i will now ask you for your question for our next guest
1: okay great um so i was thinking about this and maybe Mine's not as analytical as Mike's was, but as more, maybe more philosophical, um, I guess, with the kickoff of Scott Fishbowl we just talked about earlier, and also the passing recently of my father, uh, I think a lot about relationships and the role of relationships in fantasy football. So I guess my question is kind of simply this, if the next guest could please tell us about a relationship that was either founded by or enhanced by fantasy sports, and then how would they think their relationship with that person would be different? if this hobby didn't exist. Um, I think I kind of contend that fantasy football is about a lot more than just points and wins and losses and roster decisions. I think it's important to kind of stay, take stock of how blessed we really are to share this game with each other and how many relationships are really the foundation of our relationships are rooted in fantasy sports. So I would be curious to hear from your next guest, maybe one person that they're particularly attached to because we have this hobby that we can all share together.
2: It's a fantastic question. I love it, Jason. I think it's brilliant. You know, it, it, we always say the question can be about literally anything to do with fantasy. And I think this embodies exactly kind of what we were aiming for. So I think that's brilliant. Really looking forward to uh, asking our next guest that question. I think it's going to be fantastic. Now, before we go, uh, please tell all our listeners where to find you and any of your work.
1: Sure. Um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I am a senior writer with Dynasty Nerds. Um, you'll see our content, you know, all throughout the uh, the off season and heading into training camp. Here, we're doing a lot of uh, team previews as as uh, training camps start to will roll up here in uh, July and August. We're going to get into the dog days of summer, and that's always everybody's favorite time to speculate. So we'll we'll be right with you doing that. Um, And also, obviously, you can see my Twitter handle, which you mentioned earlier. It's down below my name there. And uh, if you have any questions, if there's any way I can help you with your roster, obviously, that's what we're all if we do fantasy analysis, that's what we're here for. So please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help. I I try to help in my content that I produce, but I'm also there to answer roster questions or dilemmas that you kind of come across on a more granular level. So I'm I'm happy to help with any of that. So please don't hesitate to, to reach out to me anytime.
2: Fantastic. Thank you, Jason. And it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've had a great time battling consensus rankings with you. Um, and it's actually been really nice to, to see that how much we agree and uh, my takes aren't that crazy.
1: <laughs> or or mine aren't. So I'm, I'm glad that you kind of were my sanity check as well. I really appreciate the invitation. And it was a, it was really a pleasure to be with you. I'd love to do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're always welcome. So with that, we're going to say goodbye and don't forget, everyone, keep rushing.